Chapter 28 There is a body that enfolds the whole of the world. Imagine it in the form of a circle, for this is the form of the whole. Imagine now that under the circle of this body are the thirty-six decans, midway between the total circle and the circle of the zodiac, separating these two circles and, so to speak, delimiting the zodiac, transported along it with the planets. The changing of kings, the rising up of cities, famine, plague, the tides of the sea, earthquakes, none of these takes place without the influence of the decans. Corpus Hermeticus Stabius Exceptum Sex What treasures of knowledge! Do you realize how great the second and third centuries after Christ were? Not because of the pomp of the empire in its sunset, but because of what was burgeoning in the Mediterranean basin then. In Rome the Praetorians were slaughtering their emperors, but in the Mediterranean area there flourished the epic of Apuleius, the mysteries of Isis, and that great return to spirituality, Neoplatonism, Gnosis. Blissful times, before the Christians seized power and began to put heretics to death. A splendid epic in which dwelled the noose, a time dazzled by ecstasies and peopled with presences, emanations, demons, and angelic hosts. The knowledge I am talking about is diffuse and disjointed. It is as ancient as the world itself, reaching back beyond Pythagoras to the Brahmins of India, the Hebrews, the Mages, the Gymnosophists, and even the Barbarians of the Far North, the Druids of Gaul and the British Isles. The Greeks called the Barbarians by that name because to over-educated Greek ears their languages sounded like barking, and the Greeks therefore assumed that they were unable to express themselves. In fact, the barbarians knew much more than the Hellenes at the time, precisely because their language was impenetrable. Do you believe the people who will dance tonight know the meaning of all the chants and magic names they will utter? Fortunately, they do not, and each unknown name will be a kind of breathing exercise, a mystical vocalization. The Age of the Antonines The world was full of marvelous correspondences, subtle resemblances, the only way to penetrate them, and to be penetrated by them, was through dreams, oracles, magic, which allow us to act on nature and her forces, moving like with like. Knowledge is elusive and volatile. It escapes measurement. That's why the conquering god of that era was Hermes, inventor of all trickery, god of crossroads and thieves. He was also the creator of writing, which is the art of evasion and dissimulation, and a navigation that carries us to the end of all boundaries where everything dissolves into the horizon, where cranes lift stones from the ground and weapons transform life into death, and water pumps make heavy matter float, and philosophy deludes and deceives. And do you know where Hermes is today? Right here. You passed him when you came through the door. They call him Exu, messenger of the gods, go-between, traitor, who is ignorant of the difference between good and evil. He looked at us with amused distrust. You believe that I am as hasty in distributing gods as Hermes is in distributing merchandise. But look at this book which I bought this morning in a little shop in Pellerino. Magic and Mystery of St. Cyprian, Recipes for Spells to Win Love or Cause Your Enemy's Death, Invocations to the Angels and to the Virgin. Popular literature for these mystics whose skin is black. But this is St. Cyprian of Antioch, about whom there is an immense literature dating from the Silver Age. His parents wanted him to learn all there was to know about the earth, land, sea, and air, so they sent him to the most distant realms, 
that he might acquire all mysteries, including the generation and corruption of herbs and the virtues of plants and of animals, the secrets not of natural history, but of occult science, those buried in the depths of distant and archaic traditions. At Delphi, Cyprian dedicated himself to Apollo and to the dramaturgy of the serpent. He studied the mysteries of Mithra. On Mount Olympus, at fifteen, guided by fifteen hierophants, he attended the rites that summon the prince of this world in order to master his intrigues. In Argos, he was initiated into the mysteries of Hera. In Phrygia, he learned hepatoscopic fortune-telling. At last there was nothing left of land, sea, or air that he did not know. No ghost, no object, no artifice of any kind not even the art of altering writing through sorcery. In the underground temples of Memphis he had learned how demons communicate with earthly things and places, what they loathe and love, how they dwell in darkness and how they mount resistance in certain domains, how they are able to possess souls and bodies, the feats of higher knowledge they can perform, of memory, terror, and illusion, and the art of causing turmoil in the earth, influencing underground currents. Then, alas, he was converted, but something of his knowledge remained and was passed on, and we find it here, in the mouths and minds of these ragged people you call idolaters. My lovely friend, a little while ago you looked at me as if I were a ci-devant, who among us is living in the past. You, who would bestow the horrors of the toiling industrial age upon this country, or I, who wished that our poor Europe might recover the naturalness and faith of these children of slaves. Jesus! Amparo said in a nasty hiss. You know as well as I do that it's just another way of keeping them quiet. Not quiet. Capable of expectation. Without a sense of expectation there can be no paradise. Isn't that what you Europeans have taught us? I'm a European? The important thing is not skin color but faith in tradition. Granted, these children of slaves pay a price in returning a sense of expectation to a West paralyzed by well-being. Perhaps they even suffer but still they know the language of the spirits of nature, of the air, the waters, and the winds. You people are exploiting us again. Again? Yes. You should have learned your lesson in eighty-nine, Count. We get fed up, and then? Smiling like an angel, she drew her beautiful hand straight across her throat. For me, even Amparo's teeth aroused desire. How dramatic, Allier said taking his snuff-box from his pocket and stroking it with his fingers. So you've recognized me. But it wasn't the slaves who made heads roll in eighty-nine. It was the upstanding bourgeoisie whom you should hate. Besides, the Comte de Saint-Germain has seen many a head roll in all his centuries and many a head reattached. But wait, here comes the Mai de Santo, the Yalerixa. Our meeting with the abbess of the Terrero was calm, cordial, civilized, and rich in folklore. She was a big black woman with a dazzling smile. At first you would have said she was a housewife, but when we began talking I understood how women like this could rule the cultural life of Salvador. Are the Orixash people or forces? I asked her. The mighty santo answered that they were forces, obviously, water, wind, leaves, rainbows. But how did she prevent ordinary people from seeing them as warriors, women, saints of the Catholic Church? Do you yourselves not also worship a cosmic force in the form of virgins? She replied. The important thing is to venerate the force. The aspect of the force must fit each man's ability to comprehend. She invited us to visit the chapels in the garden before the rite began. In the garden were the houses of the Orixash, 
A swarm of black girls in Bahian dress was cheerfully gathered there, making the final preparations. The houses of the Orixash were arranged around the garden like the chapels of a sacred mount. Outside each one was displayed the image of the corresponding saint. Inside, the garish colors of flowers clashed with those of the statues and the just-cooked foods offered to the gods. White for Oksala, blue and pink for Yemanya, red and white for Zango, yellow and gold for Ogun. Initiates kneeled and kissed the threshold, touching themselves on the forehead and behind the ear. But is Yemanya our lady of the conception or not? I asked. Is Zango St. Jerome or not? Don't ask embarrassing questions, Allier advised. It's even more complicated in an Umbanda. St. Anthony and Saints Cosmas and Damien are part of the Oxala line. Sirens, water nymphs, caboclas of the sea and the rivers, sailors and guiding stars are part of the Yemanya line. The line of the Orient includes Hindus, doctors, scientists, Arabs and Moroccans, Japanese, Chinese, Mongols, Egyptians, Aztecs, Incas, Caribs, and Romans. To the Oxosi line belong the sun, the moon, the caboclo of waterfalls, and the caboclo of the blacks. In the Ogun line we come upon Ogun, Beramar, Rompemato, Yara, Mege, Naroe. In other words, it all depends. Jesus, Amparo said again. Oxala, you mean, I murmured to her, my lips brushing her ear. Calm down, no pazaran. The Alorixa showed us a series of masks that some acolytes were bringing into the temple. These were big straw dominoes, or hoods, which the mediums would put on as they went into a trance, falling prey to the divinity. This was a form of modesty, she explained. In some terreros, the chosen danced with their faces bare, letting onlookers see their passion. But the initiates should be shielded, respected, removed from the curiosity of the profane or anyone who cannot understand the inner jubilation and grace. That was the custom in this terrero, she said, and that was why outsiders were not readily admitted. Maybe some day, she remarked, who knows, we might well meet again. But she didn't want us to leave without sampling some of the comidas de santo, not from the corbets, which had to remain intact until the end of the rite, but from her own kitchen. She took us to the back of the terrero, where there was a multicolored banquet of manioc, pimento, cocoa, amandoim, gingibre, moqueca de sirimole, vatapa, efo, caruru, black beans with farofa, amid a languid odor of African spices, sweet and strong tropical flavors, which we tasted dutifully, knowing that we were sharing the food of the ancient Sudanese gods. And rightly so, the Alorixa told us, because each of us, whether he knew it or not, was the child of an Orixa, and often it was possible to tell which one. I boldly asked whose son I was. The Alorixa demurred at first, saying she couldn't be sure, but then she agreed to examine the palm of my hand. She looked into my eyes and said, You are a son of Oxala. I was proud. Amparo, now relaxed, suggested we find out whose son Allier was, but he said he preferred not to know. When we were home again, Amparo said to me, Did you see his hand? Instead of the lifeline, he has a series of broken lines, like a stream that comes to a stone, parts, and flows together again a meter farther on, the line of a man who must have died many times. World champion of the metempsychosis relay. No pazaran, Amparo said, laughing.